Welcome to the Sting Fan Club. This is Brandon Sanderson. And this is Dan Wells. And we're going to be talking about how our favorite Sting was not in the new Dune. Our very favorite Sting. Cut completely. Now, it is to their credit that they recognized that Sting was so good in the 1980s. could not be replaced. Yes, that they just, they just cut the character entirely. Didn't even bother. Yep, yep. Completely no gone. They're like, fade. Yep. He fade... You know, it's just, it's like when you retire a letter on a sports jersey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They have retired the character of Fade. I do think it's important that we should point out, since usually here on the Sting Fan Club, we're talking about like insect stings. Yes. Mm -hmm. We want to make clear that this time we're talking about Sting, the actor in the movie Dune. We thought we would broaden our horizons to talking about Sting, the actor, and indeed movies that Sting, the actor, is not in. Yeah. Which in this case is Dune. Yeah. 2021. Mm. You saw Dune in my theater. I did see Dune in your theater. I saw Dune in my theater. So you should have watched it in my bedroom. Yeah. For parody. (laughs) (laughs) We've borrowed Dan's phone and (laughs) he's going to watch in my theater. And yeah. So it's going to be hard for me to not spend 45 minutes gushing about how much I love this movie. I Um, can do it because I know that it's. Not the perfect movie for other people, even though it's a perfect movie for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'll be able to talk about some of the things that may not be best for everyone. But I love Dune. What, what's your Dune, intersection the with book the book? is my favorite book of all time. Okay. As the series goes on, my interest wanes a little bit. By the yeah. time we get to God Emperor, I mean, everyone kind of has a very fraught yes. relationship with God Emperor. I have not actually read any of Kevin's books mm. in the Dune series. I've read Sorry, one, Kevin. One, one or two of Kevin's books. Um, yeah. I like mm-hmm. Kevin's books, and yep. so I assume I would like his Dune books. Mm-hmm. But, oh, did I tell you this? When I saw him at Fan X yes. a few months ago, which is Salt Lake City's big Comic-Con, we were sharing a booth together, and he said, Dan, I'm so excited to tell you, I'm finally going to be as successful as you, because I have a movie coming out. And this is a man with like 84 yes. number one bestsellers or something yeah. insane yeah. like that. Yep. Did you say you only get to count it half? Like, <laughs> I have the Wheel of Time coming out, but I really only get to count half of that, right? I actually get to count like, you know, a little percent of it, right? Because I'm a co-author on the series. So Kevin has half a movie. Well, and see, you have a whole from, movie. I guess if you just look at the credit, he was, what was he, a consulting? Consulting producer? Consult- he wasn't. Uh, yeah, I think it was consulting Because that's what I am on the Wheel of Time. Brian Herbert yes. got executive producer. Ah, that's a real, they, that's they a real credit. They Kevin consulting producer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And all I get on mine is based on the original novel by. Like, See, that's, that's better. That's a better credit. <laughs> I would swap mine. That's a that. credit that has very little money attached to it. But yes, well, it is cool. You have a movie that had very little money attached that's to it. True. <laughs> shockingly low for how wonderful the movie turned out. Oh, well, thank you very much. But we're not here to talk about your movie oh. or my television show that's not really my television show. We're Which here to comes talk- out like next week. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. excited for that. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about Dune. So yeah. you really liked, you really loved the book. I really love the book. I have not mm-hmm. asked you what you thought of the movie yet. Yeah, we don't know. I didn't know until you said that you love it. Yes. That you loved it. I will say mm-hmm. for context- uh-huh. That despite the original David Lynch Dune movie being very bad, I love it anyway. I will agree with you. Okay. That not just that you love it, I love it in a the fondness that you have 
for your weird but non-racist uncle, right? You're just weird <laughs> uncle, yeah. right? Who is just like, I have no idea what you're doing, you know, that kind of weird, but I love you and I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that that movie was there. Yeah. Have I told you my theory on how I think that movie happened? No. What, so, what is this? Star Wars happens, right? Mm-hmm. And it gets super huge. Alien happens. Pretty huge. Jaws happens. All the studio exec people are all like, what's going on? These super nerds are making these weird movies that we don't understand that are just making tons and tons of money. And they're like, we don't know. Suddenly nerds are ruling everything. What do we do? And they're like, all right, what's the weirdest director we have that we know? And someone's like, I know David Lynch. He's like, he's weird, right? Yeah, Racerhead, (laughs) super weird. All right, what's a science fiction thing that somebody might have heard of? They're like, Dune sold a bunch of copies. Dune. All right. Go see if the weirdest director we know will make this. It's sure to be a hit. (laughs) You know, I can see that happening. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes me wonder. I don't actually know off the top of my head. How does the timeline work out for Dune, the movie, and uh, the original Blade Runner? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Because I bet there's a causal link there, Mm -hmm. which is delightful to me because that's also the causal link for the modern one Mm -hmm. because Dennis... I don't know. I watched a video of him talking about the movie and I had to rewind it like seven times to see how he pronounces yeah. his last name and I still couldn't figure it out. Denny. Villeneuve. Villeneuve. We'll, we'll just call him Denny. Denny. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he did Blade Runner 2049. Yes. Which is beautiful to look at and kind of vapid. He did Arrival, which is one of my favorite movies Arrival of all time. Arrival is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then he did this and one. Not vapid at all. No. Arrival. There, that is that is overflowing <laughs> yes. with incredible ideas. Yes. My experience with Arrival, actually, I was on a transatlantic flight. Oh. I was flying over to do the Writing Excuses cruise in 2017 and watched Arrival, and it blew me away. And mm-hmm. I thought, it is going to be years before I see a science fiction movie that good. Yep. And then the next one I watched was the anime Your Name. Ah, uh, yes. Which was mm-hmm. every bit as good. And yep. I'm like, this is going to go down in history as the best flight I've ever had. Anyway, back to Dune. Yes. Really love the 1984 movie. Uh-huh. Really don't at all like the sci-fi miniseries. Okay. I yep. feel like that when they really dropped the ball and they, they didn't do a great job. This movie immediately became one of my favorite movies. Okay, I was holding my breath here because sometimes you have the weirdest reaction to things. And I'm like, oh no, he's going to hate it. How could he hate it? Well, maybe maybe he really likes Dr. Yue and they kind of reduced his character a bit. Oh, by the way, spoilers. We going to spoil this one. Yeah. There's a lot of decisions they made that Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have made. Right. There's a lot of decisions they made that I thought were really great. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about yeah, let's talk, all let's talk of those. about that. So now it's been a few years. Dune's one of my favorite books, but it has been a few years. I feel like they lingered on Caladan more than the book does for a percentage of this runtime. They did spend a lot of time in Caladan. And if you look at it from like a three-act structure, mm-hmm. it was Act 1, Caladan, Act yeah. 2, Dune, Act 3, Survive the now, Attack. the 1984 one kind of just starts, doesn't it start with the Paul, I can hear you, I know you by your footsteps thing? Isn't it like right there? Do they maybe? I don't know. I do think it starts with the same Dune, Arrakis, the desert planet yes. line. I liked 
the Caladan stuff in this. Mm-hmm. And they also were really going out of their way to establish Chani yes. and the Visions right from the very first scene. Right. Which like, did lengthen the Caladan time yeah. a little bit well, because getting, of what they were trying to set up. Like, this is one of my favorite decisions they made. Getting Chani into this film mm-hmm. was a great decision. Yes. Um, and making her feel yeah. like a main character of this film despite her only really being in it for like 15 minutes. Yeah was really impressive. Yeah. And I think a very smart decision. Mm-hmm. What did you think about them giving Jessica the fear is the mind killer line and making her a little more emotional, like showing her whole crying outside while Paul is in doing the Gamjabar thing? You know, that is absolutely one of the scenes that stood out to me of like, oh, this was an interesting yeah. choice. I like it because... Putting the mantra against fear into Jessica, yeah, into her voice, meant that with Paul, we were able to see a much more obvious point at which he gains control over himself. Yes. And I thought that was really I effective. I love that. I love the moment yeah. where he's like, boom, yeah. I got you. And you even see in the, the Bene Gesserit's eyes, she's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh. And she's like intimidated by him in that moment. I don't know if I would have done this, but I like it. I did a review for the film for my channel. It's not out yet. They copyright claimed it. (laughs) It'll come out eventually. I gave the movie a 10 out of 10. Oh. Because it is the best adaptation of Dune that I can imagine. Maybe there's a better one Mm -hmm. in the nebulous Plato's forms. But like when they did that, I'm like, this works because in the books, I feel like Jessica and Paul are just both a little more on top of things from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that works in this omniscient, we're seeing all viewpoints at once sort of thing. The hero's journeys lessened a little bit, but they did the same thing. It's not lessened, but it's it's stronger now that Paul's stepped back a little bit. Yeah. They knew they had to split it in the middle. It's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. They knew they needed some sort of arc for Paul, and it's Paul actually becoming a soldier and a warrior and being hardened by that moment. And making the visions all about, you know, this is your moment where Paul dies and Wadib, you know, comes yeah. to he life. Was, did they ever call him that, though? They did. They just, the pronunciations are a little... They just didn't connect it to the mouse. Yeah. That pissed me off, yeah. frankly. Yeah. I would give it a 9 out of 10 solely because they didn't mention Ma- the mouse. Maybe they will in the next the one. The thing is, they showed the mouse, yes. like, four different times. Maybe. And I'm like, they're building towards it, and then yes. they didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> 9 out of 10, <laughs> because... No, I would give it a 9 out of 10, honestly, for various other reasons yes. that I think that they dropped the ball a little bit. But yes, by starting both Jessica and Paul from a weaker position, right? they were able to show more and they were able to change the nature of the drama because so much of it is internal. And Yeah, in the book yeah, in particular. If you're able to do that kind of first person or you know third omniscient viewpoint where you get their thoughts and you can watch them kind of calculate their way through situations, then that is a different kind of drama that they weren't able to do. And so my favorite scene from the book was not in this. And it's the dinner scene when they have arrived in Arrakis. and the big one that got cut. Yeah, all the nobles and stuff Mm -hmm. show up and they're trying to get to know the local people. And in the book, one of the reasons I love it is it's every bit as tense and action-packed as a fight scene even though it's just people eating dinner. And it's because everyone is constantly second-guessing each other 
and trying to figure out, well, what does this mean? And, oh, there's a ploy there to try to, you know, distract us or attract us or whatever. There would really be no feasible way of filming that without a ton of voiceover, which would be a David nightmare. <laughs> he did it, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. you, you hear their voices in the, the 1984. Yeah, I agree with you. Like cutting that out is a good move. Because you can't do that scene justice. Yeah. So you lean into the stuff you can do, which are the visuals. One of the things I loved most, and we can get into criticism later, but my favorite thing about this whole movie is a weird thing to have as your favorite. Okay. And that is how the art design and framing makes people seem small in almost oh, every available opportunity. 100%. And that's one thing that Denny yes. is super good at. And you can see this in Arrival. You can yeah. see this in 2049. He is able to convey scale yeah. in an incredible way, sometimes in a dehumanizing way, mm -hmm. sometimes in just a sense of wonder kind of way. And what he was able to do in this movie with scale, I thought was amazing. It's just so appropriate for Dune, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's about something bigger than one person, even that person is Paul. Maudib is bigger than Paul, right? Yeah. And... Showing that at every available opportunity, mixed with the art design of showing how alien the humans are in this. Like, one of my favorite things that this movie just really nails, and I hadn't considered this as even a theme of the book, which is why mm -hmm. this gets a 10 out of 10. It makes me recontextualize the book and understand it better. Okay. Is how alien all the humans look, and the closer they get to Dune, how more natural they look. So the ships before Dune are mm -hmm. big bulbs that just things come out and then move. Yeah. You get to Dune and you've got the ornithopters. You've got insect-like, more life-like You can tell machines. how they are flying yeah. instead of just hovering in the air. And the things that people are wearing look so inhuman until they put on the still suits. And then suddenly they feel a part of the environment. They feel mm -hmm. organic. They feel real. And it's just so beautiful to go from alien to human by making the Fremen seem the most human when a lot of perspectives would treat them as the outsiders. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that, you know, it's these invaders that feel like outsiders in the way that Denny filmed this. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. The production design is the other thing I was going to mention as an absolute home run on this. I don't know who did the production design or mm -hmm. who the original concept artist was, yeah. but that person deserves all the accolades, in my opinion, because yeah. the ship designs that they did, the clothing, the weird helmets, you know, in the scene where they mm -hmm. came over and they yeah. signed the contract right. and everyone just looks like a crazy weird thing. Part of that, like you're saying, is to try to show, mm -hmm. you know, how kind of inhuman they are but also how stilted and kind of honor-bound and culture-bound yep. they are mm -hmm. in a way that the Fremen escape from. One other thing that I really am surprised by and like, and then maybe you can, I don't want to dominate <laughs> this, but I am surprised, I am shocked, I was in awe of this whole movie, that some exec didn't try to turn it into a Marvel movie or a Star Wars, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I expected, like when Jason Momoa was announced, I'm like, all right, they're going to use Jason Momoa for jokey jokes, right? Mm -hmm. Marvel style, Thor gets punched by Hulk. And I love those movies. They match the Marvel tone really well. But I'm like, oh, no, Dune is going to turn into that. And they gave him almost no jokes. Mm -hmm. He still was personable. There's yeah. very little levity. 
It's a story that really feels faithful to the source material. The fight scenes, while being excellent, a lot of them have this sense of scale where it's just like these tiny armies clashing, filmed mm-hmm. from, from wide angles from up above where the ships are enormous and the blasts are enormous and the people like, oh man. Are just it, insignificant. It didn't turn into Star Wars and it didn't turn into a Marvel movie. It's its own thing. <laughs> that That's like a miracle, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's been since Lord of the Rings that I feel like a movie has pulled that off as an action movie and has been its own thing yeah. instead of, yeah. Well, and ironically, Lord of the Rings is the first comparison I thought of when I looked at what was missing from this one. Okay. And I don't say missing in the sense that it needed it, Mm -hmm. but like so many people, the hardcore fans, there was a lot of buzz. Like this is going to be the next Star Wars. This is going to be the next big space opera epic, and it's going to be this huge you know, yeah. multi-movie franchise and it's going to have Happy Meals and mm-hmm. and no, it's not. Yeah. And the reason it's not is because it doesn't have Marion Pippin and Gimli in it. Yeah. There is no comic relief with the arguable exception of Paul. There is no everyman in it. Yeah. And so it's never going to hit that level of cultural penetration because it is just nonstop momentous stuff. Yes. The whole time. And so, you know, Afterward, when the lights came on, I said, wow, he understands Dune. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And then my second thing was, I think we should call this Momentous Whisper, the movie. Momentous Whisper. Yes. You know. The podcast. The other movie that I compared this to, and I am very torn up about this, Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, this is just doing the same thing Hook did. And it's doing all the stuff I hated about Hook, but it's doing it in a way that works, which is that it is kind of a constant string of really important things that happen. Okay. And the movie pauses to say this portentous thing. We all need to appreciate how important this is right now. And then five minutes later, here's another one. And then five minutes later, here's another one. But that's Dune. That really is Dune. That's the That really is kind of how Dune works. I thought he was able to give it a much more traditional kind of arc, Mm -hmm. a more traditional shape. But it does really go from climax to climax in a lot of ways. Right. And is depressing almost the whole time. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right. Your big climax at the end of this film is this guy, like, I loved this. It was so beautiful and poignant and weird that, like, the visions are like, you'll meet a friend who will show you the way to become the person you need to be. Yeah. And what that friend is is the guy who tries to kill him that forces him to murder him so he can turn into the warrior king mm-hmm. that he's going to be. Like, that is so twisted and wonderful that I was just shocked <laughs> by that, right? Yeah. And so that's your big climax. Ta-da! Mm-hmm. Paul becomes a murderer for the first time, realizes that he you has kill to- Kill your friend. <laughs> kill the person he's been having visions about. It was so weird. Now, let me ask you this. Yes. Because I saw it with my wife. Mm-hmm. It was me and my wife and Brian McClellan. And Brian yes. and I, you know, have read the book like 10 times each. And my wife has never read it ever. Okay. And she's seen the original movie, but, you know, not for 30 right. years or whatever. So she constantly was leaning over to ask me what was going on. And this is <laughs> not a movie mm-hmm. that is entry-level Dune. It's not designed no. for people who don't already know the story. So did you have that experience with anyone you watched it with? I didn't, but I wonder if they were too intimidated by my love of it mm. to say. Now, Jane, producer Adam's wife, 
who is, you know, she loves Nicholas Sparks books. She's read a few of my books, but she is not what you would call a traditional sci-fi fantasy fan. She had never read Dune. She said, I followed that just fine. Mm. But Jane also was an art major and Mm. beautiful films, I think are just going to work for Jane on a level they might not work for other people. Jane's the type that can appreciate that you're just trying to do stunning things and live with it. My wife has read Dune, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I worry about that though. Like the learning curve of this movie is similar to the learning curve of Dune. She's like, all right, the only line (laughs) you're going to get about how the shields work is the slow knife penetrates the shield. Yeah. Done. Like, and that's all you get. That's all you get. And then at get. the end of the movie, mm-hmm. in the final battle, where that's super important, they don't even bring it up. Yes. And the movie is full of little things like that. And I'm really wondering if people understood it mm-hmm. and if it mattered that they understood it. Right. Because in the drive on the way home, I told Dawn, like, okay, so at the end, when they kept thinking that, you know, why is Paul toying with this guy? He's yeah. not toying with him. It's because he's trained in a style of knife fighting. Yes that doesn't work because he has to attack slowly to get through the shield. Yes. And Don was just like, oh, I thought that he just didn't want to kill him because he'd never killed anyone before. And so I think it, a lot of those things they still They leaned worked. into that. It still worked. I think yeah. that was what the movie was trying. Mm-hmm. That's the way they went. Yeah. See, one of the things people I feel miss in journalism about Dune, and I think I've already seen, I know I've already seen pieces about this one that, that missed the point that they're like, this is all about Messiah myths and things like that and chosen ones and whatnot. And yes, it is, but it's about a pre-generated Messiah figure put in place so that it can be used crassly to achieve political ends in the future <laughs> uh-huh. and about someone wrestling control of that myth and you know becoming that myth by intent. It's mm-hmm. so brilliant. And it's so interesting. And it is done a disservice by, oh, look at the Messiah imagery. Well, that's what Superman is. Great. Watch him hover up in front of a stained glass window and have (laughs) wings behind him from the stained glass window. That's a cool image. I love that you're doing that. That's Mm -hmm. not what Dune is. Dune is about what it is to wrestle control of a religion for a political gain and the dangers and uh, things you can achieve by doing that which is a really interesting question that people just kind of ignore. Yeah, well, honestly, in the world of art criticism, there's no single statement that bothers me more than, let me tell you what Dune's about. Right. Because they're inevitably reductive. Yeah. And every time I'm on a panel, there's always some old man who's like, Dune is all about drug culture Mm. from the 60s because that's what he was, you know, in the middle of when he wrote it. That's in there, but that's Mm. not what it's about. Yeah. The Messiah stuff is in there, but that's not what it's about. The ecology is in there, but it's not what it's about. And so trying to pin Dune down to one thing is always just going to annoy me. You got only one line mm-hmm. about the Ben and Jezreel being like, we've, you know, seeded this thing so we can use it later on. Yeah. And then Paul, a little bit of him being like, wait a minute, we're manipulating these people by becoming their religious figure. And mm-hmm. yep, that's what we're doing. Like that's how we're gonna survive. That- that's, that's how it works. That's my single favorite concept from the books mm-hmm. is the idea that the Bene Gesserit have seeded myth and religion onto planets. So just in case you're ever stranded there, you can just, yeah. you know, <laughs> save your life by becoming God. Like, that's amazing. And it's 
Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a throwaway line in the book. Yeah. But I do want to say before we get off of the fight, mm-hmm. because while there were things he removed from the fight, yes, like, you know, the concept of the shields and things mm-hmm. like that, there was some stuff that was in the fight that I thought was incredibly subtle and added to it. Okay. And I don't remember this from the book. So uh-huh. one thing, you know, that's present in the book is Duke Atreides' father was a bullfighter. Yep. And they've got the big bull. They've got the bullhead. And mm-hmm. this movie leaned so hard into that. And they were constantly showing the bullhead. They had statues. They had mm-hmm. other things. In the fight at the end, Paul did a feint on Jamis three right. times mm-hmm. and then stabbed him in the back. Oh, the bullfight. Which is the exact bullfight bull formula. It's a ritual. You're right. And he did it exactly. And I thought that was amazing oh. to you just gave me chills. Insert that in. Well, it was Denny who gave yes. you chills mm-hmm. because that's not in the book, to mm-hmm. my knowledge. And to add that in as like a subtle thing of him kind of, you know, becoming Fremen, but through his own family legacy was really neat. That's really, really cool. All right. Let's talk about what demotes it from a 10 to a 9. <laughs> what or knocks if, it down. And we can also talk about like the necessary concessions by making this a film, yeah. such as stopping in the middle. Like mm-hmm. I thought they did an excellent job of that, but most people I was with, that's the big complaint they had. Yeah. Whereas to me, because I was expecting it, and I know Dune, and I know mm-hmm. there's that break in the middle of Dune yeah. where it really just feels like Dune is two books stapled together. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, of course that's where you stop. Yeah, That's like, perfect. That's the ideal and obvious place to stop because what comes next is a big time jump of yes. like five years or something. Yeah, something ridiculous. And so it makes perfect sense to stop it there. But a lot of people didn't like that. And it did feel like half a movie to them. Mm-hmm. What did you feel on that? I mean, personally, as a Dune fan and as someone who was expecting it the whole time, yeah, it worked. I mean, and even without, there was no green light for a second movie yeah. until like a week after it came out. Mm-hmm. But even then, he still put Dune Part 1 into the opening credits. Yeah. And so right off the bat, you know that yeah. this is not going to be a conclusion in the you know the way that you want it to be. But the marketing team did not want it to be Dune Part 1. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it's because there was no Dune Part 2 yet anywhere on the books. So I think it's the best that could be done. I think this is the right length. Having seen the miniseries, Mm -hmm. having seen the original, and seeing this, this is halfway between, right? Miniseries is like eight hours or something, nine hours. Maybe it's longer than that, but that's what the original is like two hours. This is going to be a five-hour single movie, Mm -hmm. essentially. Right length. Yeah, I think they did a good job, not only of cutting it there, but things like adding Chani into the very, very beginning helped this feel like a closed loop. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it didn't have the satisfying end. Like you look at Star Wars. Yeah. The first Star Wars movie does not actually resolve anything, but it ends with them blowing up a huge thing. Yes. And so it feels like a victory. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have that. The victory is I killed the guy who my visions told me would be my friend. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have that kind of satisfying feel at the end of it. But I think they did about as well as they could possibly have done, given what they had to do. Sound mixing, is that part of what costs the point? Sound mixing a little bit. The soundtrack is wonderful, but have you tried to listen to the score? No. Because I thought, oh, I'm going to listen to the score while I write. And it's just Hans Zimmer, like, abusing electronic instruments. And it is really nerve-wracking to have, like, it's not good 
in the background while you do something else kind of music, but it's perfect for the movie. But there were scenes like in the still tent, for example, when he has the visions about the jihad mm-hmm. and he's like, people are going to sweep over the universe killing in my name. You can only understand about half of what he was saying, if that. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it was weird and unexpected. It was because the sound mixing was genuinely bad. Yeah. It's like someone called Christopher Nolan, put them together in a room and <laughs> have them watch each other's movies and say, this is why we're bothered. Can you yeah. can you maybe just ADR one or two lines, guys? If it doesn't capture, it's okay. We have technology mm-hmm. to make that work. Please just let us hear mm-hmm. one of the most important things in the whole thing. There were changes that I thought were fine, mm-hmm. like killing kinds early. That is more or less how kinds dies eventually. Yeah. They just accelerated that so that they wouldn't have to put her into the second yes. movie. I think making Kinds a Woman was actually a really cool choice. I liked as that well. one a lot. There are other choices that I think were necessary but didn't work as well for me, like the betrayal of Dr. Yui, essentially. I mean, that's the big one, means right? Means nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, in the book, that is such a big deal. I mean, you empathize with him so much. Mm-hmm. So, In this one, we only have the faintest sense of who he is, mm-hmm. and we don't know why he's doing what he's doing until after he's already done it. And I think, again, they may have done the best they could with it, Uh though I'm not entirely happy with it. Whereas the kind stuff, I am. I think Uh they did that very well. Right. Okay. I do want to take away a point because we never get to see Gurney Halleck play the Balisette. They joke about it, though. They do joke about Mm -hmm. it. And apparently they filmed a scene. The two that I have confirmed for sure, because people have like posted stills from them, they filmed a scene of Gurney playing the Balisette, and they filmed a scene of Yui telling Jessica about his wife. Mm-hmm. And I think those both, you know, some hypothetical special edition of this movie that's yeah. you know, 45 minutes longer and has some of this stuff to round things out might be really awesome. Okay, I could see that. I wonder if that's even in the cards. <laughs> I mean, it's HBO Max. They did the Snyder Cut, right? Like, mm-hmm. they've got to be like, okay, from now on, we are keeping all of the footage from these nerd films because whatever it is, we might be able to turn it into something, you know, later on to get subscribers. Sure that we can, you know, sell the Peter Jackson special editions at some point mm-hmm. that are super long and people will do marathon watches of them. The biggest thing for me, mm-hmm. all of these others are mostly either jokes that I am making or... Things that don't actually bother me. Right. Things you understood they did that you may yeah. not have wanted them to Things do. Things I would have done yeah. differently, but I don't think they did them poorly, yeah. except the sound editing. Mm-hmm. The one thing that does genuinely irk me is the complete removal of Muslim culture mm. from the Fremen. Okay. Because, you know, Dune was very obviously based on that idea. Middle East, mm-hmm. North Africa, the culture is all over it. It's actually a big favorite of a lot of Muslim science fiction fans because it is such a kind of honest representation of a Muslim culture in science fiction. And I feel like most or all of that was removed from this. I think on this count, they were worried about sensitivity issues with the you know, call it the Aladdin issue that, you know, the line about they'll cut off your hand 
um, that Robin Williams sings mm-hmm. um, and things like that. It is a Muslim science fiction culture, but they are presented so brutally yeah. that it plays into Muslim stereotypes, which are kind of harmful at times. Right? Granted, like, absolutely. And- when you have at the end that they are going to kill Jessica for her water, you know, they'll carry her body back, mm-hmm. but they won't carry her back. Yeah. Right. That level of brutality, I think the worry is that they're equating being Muslim with being that brutal. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying this culture, who is based off of Bedouins, yeah. had to live in this environment and has then become extremely brutal because of their specific circumstances, mm-hmm. which the book can do a slightly better job of. It still has, you know, those yeah. questions. The, the right? book is still problematic in a lot of ways mm-hmm. on this note. And the movie, I do agree that they were trying to distance themselves yeah. for that reason. Mm-hmm. You know, they did, for example, I don't think they ever said the word jihad. Yeah. They said holy war. Mm-hmm. And so I know that there are people who wish that there had been some Arab actors mm-hmm. playing main roles of Fremen. Yeah. And they didn't do that. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought that Javier Bardem did a really wonderful job as Stilgar. I he like did? him in everything. Mm-hmm. Though, honestly, it was very difficult for me to trust him mm. because my two favorite roles are Anton Sugar and whoever he plays in Skyfall, where he's yes. brutally evil both mm-hmm. times. And so, like, in this one where he asks Paul for the gun, I'm yeah. like, don't give it to him. <laughs> no. He's a bad guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it is ironic, first of all, that in what is actually a pretty diverse cast, mm-hmm. an impressively diverse cast, that they ended up with no Middle Eastern actors with their obvious Middle Eastern culture. But at the same time, I can see the catch-22 that they're in, yeah. that they didn't want to you know, present it the wrong way or be accused of presenting it the wrong way. And then at the same time, it feels a little like erasure to take them out completely. Yeah. And I don't know how I would have solved that problem, mm-hmm. but it was not my problem to solve. It was Denny's. And I'm not, that's the number one thing that I'm like, yeah, I don't think that you made the right choice there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right choice would be though. I think that's valid. Like one of my main things that I would like people to understand about criticism is this idea that I can give a movie a 10 out of 10 without erasing the ability to criticize it even mm-hmm. by myself, right? It is yeah. now a cultural artifact. Let's talk about the problems. Like, I still consider Dune a 10 out of 10 book, mm-hmm. but there are certainly discussions to have about Dune and its representation and like its treatment of women and some of these things that yeah. are really valid criticisms that are worth talking about. I don't wish Dune were different. I am glad instead that we can have conversations about pieces of art that advance kind of our understanding of human nature and things like that, if that makes sense. Well, no, and we did a yeah. whole episode or two episode about this. And I would say, maybe controversially, that yeah. Dune is a perfect movie, mm. even though it is full of problems. Yeah. Now, I could <laughs> see the argument that like Dune might have been improved mm-hmm. by casting some Arab actors in fact, I think it would have been improved, yeah. right? And so that's one where it's like, I do wish maybe they had changed that, right? Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But yeah. at the same time, it's hard to say because there is a catch-22 there. It's the Apu problem again, right? Where Apu from The Simpsons 
Yeah. A lot of people are like, it's, this feels insensitive, this depiction of this character. And so the solution that I think they came up with, I don't watch The Simpsons anymore. A lot of people, it's, you know, I, whatever. I think he's just off the but show. But I think he's just off the show, yeah. which a lot of the people who are talking about this are like, it's the wrong answer, mm-hmm. right? We don't want you to remove him to avoid dealing with the issue. We want you to deal with the issue. Yeah, turn and, this into an authentic and positive yes. representation rather than the stereotype one. Yes. And so, yeah, I feel like there are ways that they could have done it differently and better in that area. But, you know, I feel like that about a lot of the things. Like, Uh there's a lot of parts of this movie that I, you know, like I said, I would have done it differently. Uh That's the only one where I think that ultimately they made a wrong choice. But let's move on to the new topic. We assume that they're bringing Fade into... Do the we? second one, right? I don't know that they are. I think they just combined the character. Combined it into who? Just, Raban? Yeah, just one nephew. I mean, yes, it ruins part of the plan, right? That you have the brutal one that gets replaced by the not brutal one to mm-hmm. quell the people. But I don't know if you have time for that whole plan and things like that. I think you may just have one nephew. See, I think they're going to bring in Fade. Okay. And I think that they're going to present him as the anti-Paul. He's okay. going to be a different Messiah figure. Mm. They might even play up all the Benny Gesserit stuff about how yeah. Fade was, you know, the other Kwisatz Haderach candidate, yes. so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to have like this kind of very charismatic but sociopathic evil version of Paul. Okay. So have Sting play him, you cowards. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Like with no CG to make him younger. Yeah. Just full-on 90-year-old Sting. Sting can play anything. He's Sting. Same right? costume, too. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, yeah. Same, like, yeah. giant foam rubber yeah. wing yeah. underpants. Yeah, yeah, And give him a few attendants with heart plugs, just, you know. <laughs> just for fun. Just for old time's sake. Okay, we'll see if your prediction's correct. That's a pretty good prediction. Again, that's how I would do it. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's how they would do it. But on the other hand, I can see where you're coming from as well, because my other favorite scene in the book is the knife fight with mm-hmm. Fade. And again, that is almost entirely inside of his own head. I don't know how you would film that other than, oh, it's a knife fight. And then you'd lose all of the subtext that makes it interesting. Yeah. And I think I'm just assuming this because one of the first things you do when you're like, let's bring this book to a film, having worked on this a bunch Mm -hmm. lately, is, all right, are there any characters we can combine? Right? Mm -hmm. Is one of your first questions because a book has so much room and a film has so much less. And so if you can combine characters, sometimes it's a good idea to do so. Yeah. So. Well, and it would make sense if they're planning to use Raban as the new fade Mm -hmm. because it did seem kind of odd. I mean, I recognize that Dave Bautista is not Mm -hmm. necessarily like a Shakespearean actor or anything, but he's very likable. He's very good at it. He's a very good actor Mm -hmm. and he's probably pretty expensive. Yeah. And they got him to just kind of snarl at the camera in four scenes and that was Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And so if they're planning to make him a much bigger part of the second movie, that makes sense. I mean, they don't have two of their biggest actors anymore, (laughs) right? Yeah. They, well, more than two, right? Like, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Who's left (laughs) on that? uh, Well, we know that Josh Brolin is coming back, right? Okay. And I suppose you're going to get some Duncan Idaho if they get to, (laughs) if they get to God Emperor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? I can't imagine they will. <laughs> Though, speaking of which, Denny has said uh-huh. that he wants to eventually do yeah. three movies. Right. 
with uh, I heard this. What's the second book? Children second of one, Dune. Yeah, no, Dune Messiah. Dune Messiah as its own right. third movie by itself. I thought that he said he wanted to do half of it. Oh, did as he? a movie? But Maybe. I could be wrong. I'm just hearing rumors and things. Because is it producer Adam is Dune Messiah the second one? I think it's Dune and then Dune Messiah. Yeah. Because that book gets real weird at the end. Like I remember mm-hmm. reading whichever the second one is. I remember reading it and being like, "Wow, this feels a lot like Dune." This is feeling this is feeling really weird. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, okay. He's he he he's he's sticking fish on his arms now. All right. Okay. Right. Is that's the end of the second one, isn't it? I don't even remember exactly. Or how is it the ends. end of the second one just Paul walks off and vanishes? I think he just disappears. That might be. If that case, that might be a really good because then ending. Yeah. Third book is children, and fourth is God Emperor, and fifth is Chapter House. Yes. Is that how it goes? Yes. And God Emperor of Dune, I have to assume, is like the book that more people have read half of than any other book. Yeah. Because it is so bizarre, and mm-hmm. you love the series so much, and you get to that one, and you're just like, yeah, I can't keep going. <laughs> it's real cool, but it's real weird. You talk about drug culture. Maybe that one is, I don't know. One of my favorite things that got passed around on the internet this Halloween was uh, somebody had mocked up a fake God Emperor of Dune Halloween costume. Oh, really? From like that old cover? Yeah, and mm-hmm. packaged it as, well, not from the old cover, but like mm-hmm. a kid in a sandworm costume yeah. with his arms sticking out. So I guess very similar to the cover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the style of the, this is not copyrighted material kind of Halloween costume, yeah. they just called it Desert Planet King or something like mm-hmm. that, which I just thought was so funny. Which they'll never do, but... Who would, who would want... To, yeah, that's the joke. But, all right. Well, we will probably be, hopefully, be back in three years to talk about part two of Dune, and then maybe three years after that... Three years after that to talk about the other one. Yes. Hey, so. you know what I am going to say before mm-hmm. we end, though? Is, if anyone out there wants to play the Dune role-playing game, please let me know. I am trying to put together a group to play the Dune RPG... Uh, I'm a professional game master. I will charge you money for it, but it will be worth it. How's that, Ben? Ben.